Hey, hi there. I'm Jeff MacArthur. Welcome to the podcast for Thursday, September the 10th. Coming up today, we're going to talk about the finalists announced for the Toy Hall of Fame. Also, Charlie Ang has joined us to talk about why the Wii scandal should still matter for Canadians. And we also talked to a researcher from the University of Washington about COVID vaccines. All of that coming up right now on the Jeff MacArthur podcast. I don't know about you. But I still have not recovered from last night's Raptors game. Just when I thought the OG, oh my, with half a second left, couldn't be topped. What about that game last night? That double overtime win in game six, a must win over the uh, Boston Celtics. I just, I don't know where to begin with this. It was just so up and down all night long. These Raptors, Mary, Rob, these Raptors, are giving me heart palpitations. Yeah, but you should be used to it because the Leafs are always giving you heart palpitations. Not right? like this, though, because <laughs> I think deep down, Leaf fans know we never really have a chance. There's always hope, but there's, you know, we're never seeing it come to fruition. But the Raptors, man, they bring it. Defending champs, right? And uh, they're not going to let that crown go go away quietly. I mean, they could have folded there uh, last night, but didn't. Thanks to uh, the greatest Raptor of all time, number seven, Kyle Lowry, who just another standout uh, performance. North Philly's finest. That's right. Yes. Although Rob, you still don't believe even after last night's game, last night's victory. Kyle's contribution, there's still doubt in your mind that he's the greatest Raptor of all time. Yeah, I don't fully agree. He's going to have to win the championship this year for me to jump on board. That. What was wrong with the championship he won last year? Uh, he had Aww. some other people. Some he's other he's people got playing. some other people this year, too. <laughs> but he had one Th- That's person. how basketball works. It's a team sport. <laughs> he had a specific <laughs> other person whose team went up 3-1 last night. Uh, so <laughs> do you think... La, la, Lowry. <laughs> <laughs> So do you think like Kawhi then is the greatest Raptor? No, no, no. I'm not. I mean, I don't I don't really know who the greatest Raptor is at this point. I think we're still in the midst of greatness right now. But uh, I'm just not going to say that Kyle is the greatest. Okay. Can I just say none other than Irvin Magic Johnson? Oh, Perhaps you've heard of him. Dr. J. <laughs> I'm Whoa. sorry. Sorry. I got my I got my Irvings wrong. Sorry. <laughs> Magic G. Johnson. Magic Johnson. Here's what he tweeted. What did he say? After last night's game. I love watching Kyle Lowry play, exclamation mark. I call him the little general because of his toughness, leadership, scoring ability, basketball IQ, and his will to win. All right, maybe you've convinced me there. I will say this, too. And, and la, Kyle, la, la, Lowry. Kyle will, he will always take the charge, too. He always puts his body on the line. So I'm not saying he's not great. I'm just saying he... I don't don't fully agree that he might be the greatest. See, see what I did there. I cited a pretty good source, right, Mary? And yeah. uh, let's just yeah. put that argument to rest right there. It's kind of hard to argue with Magic Johnson when it comes to basketball, and especially when you have footnotes like that. Yeah, yeah, good for you. And you are a fact checker. Yes, I know, Jeff. You're <laughs> superb. You know, doing those casts every night, every morning. I mean, you know, you got to be on track. So. Oh, absolutely. So, and the Raptors look like they're on track. Uh, game seven, by the way, is tomorrow. tomorrow. Yes, we thought. Originally, I was a little concerned because I saw that the game time, I think, was originally 1 p.m. Oh, my God. <laughs> which conflicts with the Jeff MacArthur Show yeah, which... here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 
Unless we go live with it. Yeah, yeah. we could just it'd be us watching the game. Well, this is what I was thinking. I thought, man, like, uh, honestly, if the Raptors are playing game seven at one in the afternoon, like, unless we're just all Raptors all the time, we're going to have, like, less than a person listening, if that's even possible. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe what I would do is do my, because I don't know what it is. I'm getting obsessed by Matty D. Matt Devlin. Like, well, of course. Game recognizing game, right, Jeff? Yeah, I would like I wanna be <laughs> nice. Matt Devlin now. All of a this guy's well just played. so good, so skilled at his craft. So I thought if the game was at one, maybe I would just do play by play over the radio yeah, while watching we it. We could do that, yeah. But it's at seven, I think. Nine, I believe. Oh, nine now. even. Wow, nine o'clock. At seven. Okay. Which is actually a really good time because, you know, after a long week we all get home, a little dinner. Cocktail, yeah, 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 that sort of thing. What do you mean by let the dog out? No, take the dog out, not okay. let the dog out. Okay. Who let the dog out? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then maybe a little nap in there, what? and then 9 o'clock, <laughs> and you're good. You're going to fit in a nap before? There's no power nap. How would you be able to sleep, Jeff? He also does a morning show. I know, I mean, I that's know. the thing. I know, so. I know. Okay, and you uh, can stay up late because tomorrow, uh, you know, the next day is the weekend. Yeah. It's a sleep in, yes. But knowing so. Jeff, he's probably got a tea time at 7 a.m. That is very true. Actually, it's really? 8.30 because, <laughs> you know, the sun's coming up a little later these days. Yeah, yeah, so, sorry. Hey, listen, also want to talk uh, here off the top today about the uh, National Toy Hall of Fame because they have just unveiled a dozen toys that are eligible for introduction uh, this year. They do this each and every year. They decide they're going to enshrine a, a toy or two into the uh, Hall of Fame. Let me go over the uh, list and uh, see what you guys think of some of these toys and whether they belong in the Hall of Fame or not. And I'm going to start with uh, Yahtzee, which is just a fun word to say. Yes. It, it's actually maybe more fun than the game itself, is just to say the uh, the word. Yeah, It's been a while. I can't remember how fun that game was. It's a dice game. Yeah. Right with the cup. cup. And... Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I don't know about yet. Mary, are you feeling strongly about Yahtzee in the Hall of Fame? Eh. Yeah. Eh. Not. Oh, okay, how about the Light Bright? Light Bright's oh, up this year. Light Bright okay. was cool, yeah. 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 That was fun. Yeah, did Lots you... of pieces, though. Lots of pieces to lose and for kids to stick up their noses. So, well, yeah. I don't know. Maybe the Etch-A-Sketch was better. Yeah. Was I was going to say lots of pieces for parents to step on, actually. <laughs> right? Yeah, I wonder what's more painful to step on, a Lego or one of those light bright pegs? Well, I've stepped mm. on a Lego, and it's painful, so I, I can't imagine the light bright pegs are... Yeah, that painful or well, any better. But uh, yeah, yeah, light bright is up for introduction. And uh, I'm looking at the box uh, right now and it's got a clown face. And I just I can remember because you would have the paper inlay. Remember that you would put on the screen. Yes. And then you could stencil over it. Yeah. And then you just use the colored pegs to uh, like, for instance, this clown's face, red for the nose, green for the lips and that. Uh, What about risk? How about risk? Oh, that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. See, I always found Definitely risk better than Yahtzee. That's yeah. for sure. I always found risk yeah. too complicated. I don't think we ever finished too. It was always it was just this ongoing conflict. Yes, <laughs> that yeah, I never think risk ended. Can be, yeah. It's like very, yeah. You got to, which have is like it's pretty time. accurate. You know, I mean, which is maybe why we didn't play it a lot in our family because we had enough ongoing conflict. Exactly. To be honest, we we didn't need to add to it with a board game. Yeah, you so. wanted to escape it, not add more to it. Yeah, but I always found risk to be really complicated. Like, like I've never wanted to be like a uh, minister of foreign affairs. And I kind of feel like risk is like sort of the training ground for that, if you for will. For sure. For yeah. sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. moving all of your troops around. And uh, I can remember uh, for, for some reason, I always ended up with Madagascar. <laughs> like a 
or whatever. I think reason. you're onto something though. Yeah. That, that <laughs> games that you liked as a kid sort of set the groundwork for your your future, your interests, or your destiny. Yeah, sometimes, absolutely, yeah. But so bingo, like I love bingo, and in a way, I became a bingo caller. Really, really? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've just spoken into a microphone my entire life. Wait, and, so bingo isn't in the Hall of Fame yet? It is not. That's shocking. It seems that like it's shocking. as old as. Time itself. Time. Yeah. Well, okay, let's debate this for a second here because I do have a problem with bingo because is bingo really a toy? No. Like, bingo's gambling. Yeah, ad- adults play gambl- uh, yeah. play bingo, right? Yeah, you go and you put big money on the line back yeah. in the day and you're there with your daubers. And you and... bring your own daubers. Yeah. Serious <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Like, you know. Like, if bingo is up for, uh, you know, consideration in the Hall of Fame, then what about blackjack? Come on now. Or poker. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Or canasta. You can play bingo anywhere. You can play balcony bingo, right? And some of the senior residents, they were playing balcony bingo with the collar in the courtyard. It was fantastic. Yeah, I I just don't think of bingo as a toy, though. I don't think so. This is the toy Hall of Fame. It's better than Yahtzee. So Yahtzee shouldn't even be on the list. All right. How about sorry? I say sorry, sorry. You're not getting in. It's got the popomatic bubble, though. Come on. That was an innovation. <laughs> oh, did it? I yeah. thought that was just trouble. Oh, was it I just trouble? trouble? No, so I think. Didn't Sorry have the popomatic bubble? No, no, no. Anyways. Sorry, very Canadian. It makes me think of very Carol Canadian. Burnett. <laughs> makes me think of the Carol Burnett show. Yeah. <laughs> That's where, right. Where yeah. They sat around and played Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and you're right, Rob. It could be the most Canadian game ever. <laughs> Canadians are right. used to Sorry. Pardon me. Sorry. We play it every day. <laughs> yes. All right, Mary, uh, let's go around the table here quickly. Uh, think of the toy when you were growing up. Uh, what was your number one toy? What is it that you would put into the Toy Hall of Fame? Oh, it, it's a it's a toss-up between Twister mm. and Operation. Oh, Operation was great. You know what? It's funny. I think those games go hand-in-hand hand because, honestly, Twister can get so out of control and is so dangerous you could end up Needing an operation, right? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I pulled a hip here, or something. <laughs> Losing as, my as hip. As I grew, though, as I grew, though, later in life, I have to say, my favorite game, Monopoly. Ooh, yeah, yeah that's a but good one. it just went on too long. Monopoly, yeah. yeah. It's a great cottage game. You can leave it for days and just keep going back to the table. You know, side story. This is just reminding me the last family vacation we ever took. I was 16, and uh, we rented a cabin, and we had a cottage, and uh, there's three boys, my mom and my dad. Anyways, we played Monopoly one night. It's one of the um, times that I really, truly remember my dad drunk, if you will. (laughs) I mean, we're on vacation, right, and all that. And as the game wore on, he was getting a little uh, more and more uh, impatient, if you will, and he was running out of cash. And I remember he landed on my railroad, and I said, you owe me $400. And he just looked at me. He's like, nope. <laughs> Not going to oh, no. pay you $400. I'm paying you $200. i am like, what do you mean you're paying? No, that's the rules of the game. <laughs> I, I, I find with Monopoly, sometimes if it goes on long, people change the rules. I'm like, I didn't know that was a rule. You could negotiate the terms of how right. much you've got to pay me. And you're stealing that property from me. Yes. What? I don't know. So yeah. yeah. This is the rules. Either you're going bankrupt or, or you're, you're going to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your father. I make the rules. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Rob? What is the toy you remember growing up? Uh, I mean, I was big into G.I. Joe figurines and Transformers. That was sort of my thing. But if you're talking about board games, I always liked, well, Mousetrap for one. I never got it, but I heard it was terrible. But Electronic Battleship. 
Oh, yeah. Because you couldn't cheat, right? You know? You, yeah. <laughs> with the regular battleship, you could cheat. You could be like, oh, yeah, no, you didn't hit my submarine. Yeah. But with electronic. My battleship. <laughs> I remember, I'm old enough to remember regular battleship, and then when electronic yeah, battleship no, came out too, yeah. with the effects, yes, right? Yes. It, like if you actually did hit, like, the destroyer. But, but you know, your parents didn't want to buy it for you because they were like, you already got regular battleship. What do yeah. you need that for, right? And you're like, ah. Oh. But I remember thinking as a child just how high tech electronic battleship oh, seemed. Totally. I would love to see it today. <laughs> I know. It's like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really? This is high tech? So the toy I always remember growing up, I got this uh, one Christmas, was a $6 million man action figure. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I have the board game. Oh really? Yeah. 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 See, the the action figure was just so good yeah. because you could. He came in the tracksuit. He was bigger than yep. regular. Was he? he was oh big, yeah, right? yeah, it was yeah, big. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And he you was. could roll up the sleeve, and the yep. bicep would come off, and you could see the bionics in there. Nice. You could look nice. through the back of Steve Austin's head, like, and see the bionic eye. Cool. And I think I had that uh, doll for about uh, two weeks until my parents took it off me because they were tired of uh, me running around the house, and all they would hear is. No 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 Nice They got sick of it eh Yeah I remember my dad thinking this thing didn't come with sound effects did it? I thought it was just one of those quiet toys Now go to bed The Wii Charity with a blockbuster announcement yesterday We closing their Canadian operations citing COVID, citing the pandemic and the political fallout from the student job program scandal Charlie Angus is the ethics critic for the NDP, and he joins us for more on this here on Global News Radio. Mr. Angus, good afternoon. Nice to have you back on. Hey, great. Thanks to have. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, uh, we is leaving the country. Is that it? Is this over? Is it done with? Well, uh, one thing we learned with uh, we and the Kielbergers is that what you appears on surface doesn't seem to be what's beneath it. It's much more complex. Issues We found that we started to investigate them uh, at committee, and we learned these guys were in financial freefall. Uh, they had fired their board of directors. They had fired their, uh, their chair of their board who had been asking questions about their finances. There had been mass layoffs. And yet they came to committee and they came to government and told us that they were, you know, uh, in perfect condition and ready to administer a $900 million program. Well, that fell through. Uh, we learn now that their charity wing is being shut down, but they have massive real estate assets. Is it all going to be put into some kind of endowment? They also have for-profit wings, and they also have a, a number of corporate holdings, including in the United States. So I'm not sure where they're done with, with, their, with their operation, but I think they probably want to get out of Dodge as quickly as they can and get a, a away from the scandal. Yeah, because I know there's a lot of talk after the we statement yesterday where they were citing COVID and the political fallout from the student program, uh, student program uh, scandal. A lot of people were wondering, well, is that the real reason uh, we is closing? Are there other uh, factors here? So uh, you believe we need to dig a little deeper, find out a little more about this charity? Well, you know, the interesting thing is, is that Parliament, the opposition had never asked the Kielbergers to come. We were not going to focus on we. Our, our focus in Parliament was on how they got the inside track, because that seemed to be uh, very disturbing. And the political connections uh, and the roles of the ministers, that was our focus. But it was the Kielbergers insisted on coming to committee, and they insisted on swearing under oath. 
which was surprising. And I just found their question that their answers did not jive with the evidence we were finding. And the more we've seen, particularly with the documents we've gotten, uh, really contradict. So, for example, last night they were repeating the same line they gave us at the committee. They said how they never would have answered Canada's call for help if, you know, they'd known the kind of trouble what they would have gotten into. And they seemed to present themselves as this politically naive group of idealists who didn't understand politics. Well, we know that that's not how it went down. They were making multiple calls to key ministers because they had key contacts and they knew the players who would move a $900 million deal uh, through cabinet. And that's not something that I think a lot of charities that have that kind of knowledge. These guys had the inside track. Yeah, so their testimony, their statement has raised uh, more questions than given answers, you believe? Well, certainly, and that's been the whole issue all along. You know, for example, as well at the committee, uh, we learned that it actually wasn't their this charity that uh, they were telling us did such great work that was going to administer the fund. It was a shell corporation that they'd set up, and we couldn't get straight answers on that either. I mean, if for your listeners, if Red Cross came and was going to administer a government program and we asked, you know, what were the finances, we'd get a straight answer. Uh, if we were asking, why, you know, is it Red Cross or is it going to be some kind of shell company that's limiting liability? Um, you couldn't imagine that happening. But with we, there was always something else that had to be unfolded to understand how this came out. And I think a lot of it keeps coming back to these guys carefully curated their relationship with all the key ministers, uh, with all the, 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 the insiders, right up to the fact uh, that they were promoting their pitch to government with photos of the Trudeau family, uh, shows how deeply embedded they were. They weren't registered to lobby. Government was there at their beck and call, and this thing went south, and it was very devastating, obviously, for their organization, but I think for Canadians' confidence in how we're spending money in the pandemic. Joined by Charlie Angus of the NDP. Let's move from the uh, charity, Mr. Angus, to the other side of the coin here in this equation. That, of course, uh, the government. And uh, where did things uh, stand? Where do they sit right now in Ottawa when it comes to uh, the government and the investigation regarding we? Well, we are in the midst of the biggest uh, medical and economic crisis in a century. And Justin Trudeau packed up shop and left town because of this scandal. Uh, that's staggering. Uh, to me, it's the height of irresponsibility, but it shows how much damage, corrosive damage, is done to his uh, his image and to the to the government. The fact that Madame Bardish Chagger uh, was not coming clean about the meeting she had with Craig Kielberger about her role that we've seen in the documents of being a driver of this agenda. That this did not come from the public service the way the government claims, but came from the key political. Uh, players around the cabinet table. How did this happen? How did we, in the middle of a pandemic, end up diverting so much money for what looked like a bailout to the Kielbergers on a plan that the more you look at, if you read those documents, uh, it was crazy what was overpromised and uh, something that I don't think ever could have been delivered in a credible manner. This was a boondoggle waiting to happen, and we caught it uh, at the get-go. What about uh, Bill Marneau? I wanted to ask you about him, the now former finance minister. He's admitted some uh, missteps, uh, said he always intended to pay back the money, did. He has uh, now uh, left the government. Uh, as far as you're concerned, the NDP and the committee, uh, is he off the hook? Well, Bill Morneau has just been found guilty of another ethics violation, this time with Elections Canada. Um, there's an ethics investigation uh, by Commissioner Dion into Bill Morneau, and we need a finding on that because 
the fact that a finance minister so glibly ignored the conflict of interest rules, these aren't, you know, these aren't just guidelines. These aren't suggestions. This is the rule of law for how ministers have to behave. And he ignored that, uh, accepting up well over $40,000 in private flights from the Kielbergers, not registering it, um, the fact that he did not recuse himself, and the fact that in those documents, when the key deal was, uh, decision was being made, it refers to Kielbergers and Bill Morneau as being, quote, besties. This kind of close friendship and insider access is what ends up getting politicians in trouble all the time, and it and it corrodes public confidence. We need to know that the politicians are putting the Canadian people first in the middle of this pandemic, full stop, not helping their friends, not being besties with people who are desperate for money to keep their business model afloat, that they are putting Canadians first, and they did not do that in this case, and that's why uh, this scandal is going to continue to hurt. Is it? Uh, that was my next question, and you mentioned that it uh, has the ability to corrode public uh, confidence in politicians and in government, but you look at the polls, and it seems as if Justin Trudeau and the Liberals haven't paid much of a political uh, price. I mean, it might be different if an election is uh, called l- later this uh, year, but are you surprised that they're still riding high in the polls and that uh, Mr. Trudeau, the Prime Minister, basically says, I'll be judged by the uh, electorate and in the, in the voter, they should be the ultimate arbiter of this? I'm really concerned by Mr. Trudeau's flippant attitude on this because I would say that at the beginning of this pandemic, Canadians had a lot of confidence. And I know I was saying, like, we're all basically Team Canada right now. We're in this unprecedented crisis. We're all working together. I don't think people can say that to to nearly the degree of certainty anymore because of the WE scandal. I think the prime minister shutting down and saying he's basically taunting you know, take it to an election and see what happens. Well, we're in the middle of a massive pandemic and the round two may be coming on us. I think what the prime minister doesn't understand is that people right now are focused on the pandemic. They're focused on CERB. They're focused on the crisis at hand, but they're going to remember that this prime minister failed them at that moment. And that's, that's, that's kind of political capital you don't get to regain. All right. Leave it there for now, Mr. Angus. Appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Charlie Angus of the NDP. One of the more promising COVID vaccines put on pause after one of the participants in the study got a quote-unquote unexplained illness. This is the so-called Oxford vaccine because it's under development at Oxford University over in the UK. It's thought to be, again, one of our best shots right now anyways at a COVID vaccine. Deborah Fuller is a researcher at the University of Washington and joins us now for more on this here on Global News Radio. Deborah, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Appreciate your time. Uh, first of all, do we know any more today about this unexplained illness regarding uh, the research uh, around the Oxford vaccine? Do we know if this illness is indeed related to the vaccine itself? I have not seen any reports as to whether they have determined whether this is uh, an adverse event that would have occurred with this person regardless of whether they took the vaccine or if it was due to the vaccine. I think it's something they're still investigating. But generally a serious adverse event means that this individual is likely hospitalized and uh, and then they had they halted the trial to investigate whether or not that uh, incident was due to actually a uh, vaccine or not. And certainly we're concerned for that person's uh, well-being. But having said that, time, of course, is also of the essence. The, the world is awaiting a vaccine. This seems to be our best chance. 
Is there sort of a timeline or a protocol when it comes to this sort of thing when testing is halted because of this? Uh, do we know how long it possibly uh, could take to find some sort of causal connection? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, that would be uh, happen very fairly quickly. They should be able to determine that. Um, you know, generally, if, if there's a, a vaccine-induced issue, it's going to be related to the immune response. Um, vaccines could cause certain kinds of inflammation or whatever that could cause problems uh, in an individual. Because it was only one person, and I don't know how many people they had enrolled in their trial today, but it was only one person, it suggests it's probably a, a, a rare situation with a person who may have some other underlying condition. I mean, that doesn't lessen the concern that, you know, if a vaccine goes into an individual with a rare condition, it could cause a problem. Uh, and that's why they had to halt the trial to say, hey, you know, is there uh, certain individuals that may not, uh, that this vaccine may not be safe for. And so they're going to take some time to look at that. They're going to say, does, is it due to the vaccine? Is it not due to the vaccine? If it's not due to the vaccine, they can certainly resume the trial. I would imagine even if they determine that it might be related to the vaccine, they may be able to identify and say, hey, you know, these individuals should not be taking the vaccine. We can go forward, but we're going to have to exclude people with those particular conditions from further, um, you know. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So that's an option. And I was also wondering whether or not uh, researchers around the world, I mean, if this Oxford vaccine is, quote unquote, our best chance as of right now, could they be taking some of the things they think are working and combine that with uh, some other research? Yeah, so, you know, I think it it really depends on, you know, what the situation is. If this was, uh, you know, uh, an, an individual with a condition that occurs, say, one in 10,000 people, um, then you might have this adverse event occur in one in 10,000 people. And that's an unacceptable level, actually, when you get to vaccinate hundreds of that would be a large number of people. So, um, but there are in, uh, examples where we have developed vaccines and we said we identified uh, subsets of individuals that should not take that vaccine because they would have a serious adverse event. For example, our current flu vaccine, it's grown up in eggs and it's not recommended for people with egg allergies. So they don't get that type of vaccine. They would instead get a different type of vaccine. And that's why it's really important that we have not just one candidate vaccine uh, being developed, but we have multiple uh, vaccines um, because I don't think it's going to be a one-size-fits-all. Some vaccines are going to be safer and effective in, in certain populations, and we may have to develop other vaccines for other demographics. And these phase three trials are absolutely critical to determine you know, what populations are going to be able to take which vaccine safely uh, to have the greatest you know, reach in terms of um, vaccinating the, the world. Yeah, could you give us an update just where we are when it comes to developing a, a vaccine? What's going on there where you are, the University of Washington and the United States uh, overall, and uh, I guess really around the world, uh, where are we exactly in the process of finding a vaccine? Or, or is that just you know, almost impossible to nail down? Well, there is a lot of vaccines in development right now. Right, I think uh, as of today, there are at least eight that have entered phase three human clinical trials, and that's the last phase 
that you enter into uh, in which you evaluate efficacy. You know, you immunized uh, people with the vaccine. You have another set of people immunized with the placebo, and you're going to compare those two groups and determine whether the vaccine is providing improved protection compared to the group that gets the placebo. So that's a phase three trial, but even before you get there, you have to go through phase one and phase two trials. Phase one trials are usually, okay, let's do a dose find. We're going to figure out what dose works in people. Phase two is going to check the additional uh, and safety measures. That's the initial safety, and it's a small group of people. And then phase two goes in the larger group of people. And then phase three is usually tens of thousands of people in which they're testing that. So we have about eight that are now in phase three uh, clinical trials, but the, you know, even in Phase one and two, there's, I think, around 150 different candidate vaccines that are in various stages of evaluation. Um, you know, our, our vaccine that we're developing at the University of Washington, for example, is going to be entering phase one clinical trials shortly. Uh, we've completed all the preclinical studies. It looks really promising uh, in terms of the kinds of immune responses that we want to see in terms of safety. And so we're getting ready to enter into phase one clinical trials right now. So. Um, so, you know, I, I think the next question is probably going to ask your next question for you. And that, that is, you know, is the field already too crowded? Isn't the game already done? Because there's already, you know, eight vaccines in phase three trials. And, you know, even if, it, you know, if we get two or three of those licensed for use, there's a room for another one. And the way I look at it is that, um, you know, as, as we saw with the AstraZeneca study, is that we don't know whether any of the vaccines that are currently in phase three are going to actually be licensed for use. They have to pass the criteria of being both effective and safe. Sure. And then even if they are, we don't know whether they'll work, say, in elderly or how durable those immune responses are. So it's really critical in uh, in the research field that we continue to develop not these new vaccines, second and maybe even third generation vaccines that might be needed to fill gaps where the, the ones that are currently further along uh, may not meet. Okay, let me ask you just finally, have you ever seen anything like this in your experience as a researcher where we've got eight different vaccines in phase three and another 150 uh, in uh, development? Is that unprecedented? And what does that tell you? Does it tell you that a vaccine is, it's not a question of if, but just when? Yeah, it is totally unprecedented. It has entirely to do with the, with the pandemic. Uh, we would not be in the situation at all unless there was a global pandemic like this that was ca causing, uh, you know, uh, shutdown all over the world. So this is entirely new. But I think going forward, <clears throat> we will have a vaccine. I'm absolutely confident in looking at a lot of the different candidates that are out there. Uh, between them all, I am very confident we're going to have a, uh, not just one, but probably a set of vaccines that are going to be very effective in shutting this uh, pandemic down very quickly. Once you start to see them release, uh, you'll start to see a significant impact in slowing and eventually uh, trickling down this pandemic to just a whimper. Yeah, any so, idea yeah, on a timetable? Yeah, I mean, the projection is really um, that, you know, I think with phase three trials, what they do is they'll do an early look and have a look at whether, you know, how is it, 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 uh, how is it progressing? How many infections are we seeing in the vaccine versus control group? But it takes time. The virus actually dictates the timetable because in a phase three trial, you're going to have to uh, wait until you get a number of infections, sufficient number of infections to be able to see a difference between your vaccine group and the placebo group. 
And that just takes time and it has to do with how the transmission rate is occurring in any given place where those trials are taking place. So the estimates are that maybe around uh, the, the uh, December or January, we might have enough data in these phase three trials to actually see a substantial differences between those two cords. And if that's the case, then shortly after that uh, would probably be pretty quick to get those licenses. All right. Here's to hoping. Fingers crossed. Deborah, I want to thank you for your work, all the researchers' work, and your time with us here this afternoon. Much appreciated. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's Deborah Fuller, researcher at the University of Washington. And that's the Jeff MacArthur podcast for Thursday, September the 10th. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder, you can catch us live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 on Global News Radio 640 Toronto at 640toronto.com. Or just search my name, Jeff MacArthur, on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.